This is Zoe Church LA. We're not just fans, but rather followers of Jesus. Tune in as Pastor Chad Veach teaches of God's love and how we can live a Zoe life, an abundant life. But last week, Chad talked about wrong relationships and the characteristics and the attributes of what it looks like to be in a wrong relationship. And maybe you missed that and you're jumping in. Well, today we're going to talk about right relationships. And our theme verse throughout this series is out of Proverbs. In Proverbs, it says, as iron sharpens iron, so one person sharpens another. And um, when we think about this scripture, I think about how in those days, in ancient times, in context of sharpening iron, how it took old tools that they didn't have, the quick way to sharpen it back then, and it took time and deliberation and intentionality, and it took commitment. It actually took patient commitment. And when I think about right relationships and what I want to talk about when I talk about right relationships is I want to talk about how we need to be committed to right relationships. See, last week we got a grasp about wrong relationships and what we need to avoid and what we need to leave and what we need to get rid of in our life. But a lot of times we can find ourselves that it's very convenient leaving and then we stop at the leaving and we don't do enough leaning. Because if we just leave and we don't lean... We just live. And I, I, I don't know about you, but I just am so excited that God called us to live a life abundant, full, that he's set out a plan for us to live a life that is not just existing, but to live in a relationship, not only with him, but in, with other people that's one that's fulfilling and satisfying and refreshing to the soul. So in Proverbs 27, 17, it says, as iron sharpens iron, so one person sharpens another. Last week, Chad referred to me as his sharpener. Now, I don't know if that's a pencil sharpener or a machete, but... Basically, what he's saying is that he was grateful to be in relationship with someone that helps, at least I try, better him, and and he helps better me. And maybe you're here and you're not married, but I want to talk about relationships as a whole. We're all in some sort of relationship, whether that's family or friendship or marriage or, um, you know, whatever that may be, maybe with your children. I want to talk about how to live relationally right and how, how being right is not what we're called to, but we're called to becoming right. And to live a fulfilled relationship, we need to commit and invest and use intentionality and just like sharpening, patient commitment to becoming right. Amen? If you're taking notes, I've titled this Mr. Right. If you're single here, you're like, oh, yes, I'm taking notes. But I don't want to talk about just, you know, Mr. Wright and what he looks like. I want to talk about all of us as Mr. or Mrs. Wright, who we're supposed to become in, in the biblical instructions in the area of relationship. Because if we can be fulfilled in our relationships, I think we can be fulfilled as individuals. Amen. Let's pray together. God, we're just so grateful that for your relationship with us, we love you. We're, we're thankful for this time with you. Bless every mother. In Jesus' name, we all said amen. amen. 
And uh, I don't know about you, but I am in seven committed relationships. Uh, One is my relationship with Jesus. I'm grateful uh, for that relationship and what he's given me and his example for love. Secondly is my relationship with Chad. We've been married for ten and a half years, and uh, we've had a lot of fun and adventure. Uh, Third is my relationship with my children. I have four kids, seven, five, three, and one. And uh, the relationship is kind of one way, me serving all their needs, but you know, it's going to reciprocate one day. And, uh, and then I'm, I'm, a, I'm so grateful for the relationship with my church family, uh, with my community. I'm biased, but I think we have the best church family in the world. And uh, I have other relationships, relationships uh, with my extended family and my immediate family. I have three sisters. Nothing says relational harmony like uh, four hormones. And, uh, and then I have relationship with friendships in this front row and, uh, you know, outside of this building. I'm just so grateful for all the relationships that God has blessed me with. Um, But most recently, I've entered into a new relationship, a committed relationship, and that is the relationship with my Toyota Sienna minivan. Now, before you judge, uh, I have entered this relationship willingly, and I'm excited because convenience is key when you have four children. Any parents said amen? Oh, well, we only have two people that are parents here apparently. But um, I, we purchased this minivan a couple weeks ago and um, Chad's still dealing with his heart about this situation. And um, like any good new relationship, you get comfortable with her. And you know, I just, she's seen me in my sweatpants with no makeup and a few choice words only when the children are not there and someone's cutting me off in the 405. But you know, she's just seen the good, bad, and the ugly of me. And just the other day, I took her to one of the nicest hotels in our area. And I was having lunch with a friend and I, not her, you know, someone else, you know, but I do eat in that van. Uh, so I was, I was exiting this stunning hotel filled with uh, cars that are in better relationship with their owners that are clean and don't have French fries and, um, you know, children's shoes falling out of the doors. But um, I look around and I gaze at these beautiful, fancy cars as I was waiting for my car from the valet to be pulled up. And they pulled up the car and I could see him motioning to me. Now, I'm just surrounded by a whole bunch of people and I have two options in this moment is that I can sheepishly pretend like I'm going somewhere else, like a fake friend and you know I just do like a ninja dive into the van or I can be loud and proud and be like that's right that's my car you know so I'm like have you ever been in a relationship where you're not proud of them don't raise your hand okay that was too much no but like sometimes I go to Starbucks and you know they're yelling my name they're like five breakfast sandwiches for Julia everyone's looking at me you know like these are all for me I'm like I have children you know it's like you just like want to justify the relationship that you're not proud of or at a pharmacy where they like yell out a prescription for your name that's like a little suspect. No, okay, that's just me, perfect. Or you just like hide your shopping bags in Trader Joe's bags and you bring them in the house. You know, just, you know, just try to be, no, okay, just me, asking for a friend, perfect. Um, but he's signaling me and I'm in the valet and he's like, black minivan. I was like, do we have to have a megaphone, you know? And he's just like yelling, black minivan, anyone, you know? So I just, you know, I just decided to have confidence and I walk all the way over there and I just get in and I peel on out and I'm like, that's right. I am in a committed relationship with a minivan. 
But whatever relationship you're in today, you know, maybe you are in a season of singleness or maybe you're married or uh, maybe you're here and uh, you want to learn about relationships and context of children or friendships. I really do believe that you lean into what you love. That we don't just leave the thing that frustrates us, but we lean into the things that we love. Now, Jesus has given us the blessing of relationship with him. And he's given us the blessing of relationship with others. And when he blesses me with something, I want to steward that well. I want to be committed to the thing that he gives me. If you're taking notes, I've wrote down a few ideas about what I think it looks like to be in right relationship. Number one is we need to leave the anger and lean into forgiveness. Leave the anger, lean into forgiveness. Ephesians 4 verses 31 and 32, it says, get rid of all bitterness, rage, and anger, brawling and slander along with every form of malice. And there's a conjunction here. There's an and both. And don't just leave it. Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other just as Christ forgave you. Anyone here grateful for the forgiveness of Christ Jesus? Don't just leave the anger. Don't just remove that part of you, but lean into compassion. Lean into to kindness. I don't know if you're, you've been married and uh, you said that you forgive someone, but you don't speak to them for four days, you know? You're like, I forgive you, you know? But... Um, I think it's easy sometimes to hold on to frustration. It's, ho- it's easier to hold on to anger. Let's look at a, a, another verse in Ephesians 4, verses 26. It says, in your anger, do not sin. Do not let the sun go down while you're still angry. Maybe you're, you're here and you've seen that verse before. You've heard it at a bridal shower when you fill out a card and you give advice. But I'm here and I like to let 10 suns go down on my anger. You know, I am, it's easier to choose pouting than it is to choose forgiveness. And if you're taking notes, there's just a few ways that I think that we need to learn how to forgive. One is forgive quick. Don't let it take root. Don't let it take a foothold. Don't let it live within you. Two is forget, forgive the main things, forget the small things. You know, it does sound appealing and convenient to hold on to your frustration. Last week, Chad talked about the six characteristics of a wrong relationship, and one of them was anger. And I was just, you know, like, shoot, he's talking to me. And they just, you know, can I just think about someone else? But no, I need to learn how to forgive quicker and forget those small things. Colossians 3.13, it says, bear Another version says tolerate the weakness, tolerate the small things. If you're married, you know, it says bear or tolerate those little things that are not big things, those small things that take root to big things with each other and forgive one another. If any of you has a grievance against someone, forgive as the Lord forgave you. You know, maybe you're here and you, you know, you tolerate those annoying little things, but it comes to fruition and becomes a main thing that takes root. You know, Chad and I, we're both firstborns, we're strong, and we know um, how to argue on occasion. And, um, and I think a lot of times, uh, 
we are intent on being right and not becoming right. And, uh, you know, choosing forgiveness is not as easy as being right, right? And um, Chad and I, the other day, we were talking about one of those little small things, those little small things that we just not, that that's not a main thing, but those little small things that we're in a disagreement above and we're about and we're going back and forth. And um, I finally just made a resolve in my heart that I was going to let him be right. And I looked at him and I said, you're right. You win. But I just want you to know <laughs> that I lose. And the wife that you love is a loser. <laughs> and, um, but you can win. But I'm a loser. How does that make you feel? But what I was trying to be was right, right, you know? <laughs> but I think a lot of us are intent on being right in our relationships, even our friendships, you know? Why is that? It's because our hearts are flawed. And the third thing out of forgiving, forgiving quick, forgive, forgive the main things, but forgive fully. Forgive fully our heart. And in 1 John 3.19, it says, this is how we know that we belong to the truth and how we, are, we set our hearts at rest in his presence. If our hearts condemn us, we know that God is greater than our hearts and he knows everything. Dear friends, if our hearts do not condemn us, we have confidence before God and receive from him anything we ask. In the Passion Translation, it says this. It discusses more about our heart. It says, beloved children, our love can't be an abstract theory we only talk about, but a way of life demonstrated through our loving deeds. We know that the truth lives within us because we demonstrate love in action, which will reassure our hearts in his presence. Whenever our hearts make us feel guilty and remind us of our failures, basically we can't forgive ourselves. We know that God is much greater and more merciful than our conscience, and he knows everything there is to know about us. He sees our good, bad, and ugly. My delightfully loved friends, when our hearts don't condemn us, we have a bold freedom to speak face-to-face with God, and whatever we ask of him, we receive because we keep his commands and by our beautiful attentions, I love that. It's our intentions. It's not our begrudging intentions. It's our beautiful commitment. We continue to do what brings pleasure to him. Forgiveness is an act of a full, whole heart. But we have to get a glimpse that we have received freedom from his forgiveness from us. And when we understand that he forgave us and he gave us access to a free life, then we have an ability to forgive others and give them access to freedom as well. When we get a revelation of how much we've been forgiven, it's hard not to forgive others, amen? Number two, leave the fickle and lean into the faithful. Ooh, there is nothing better than a faithful friend, a real friend, one who is loyal, one who is there, one who is committed, honest, trustworthy. There is nothing better than a faithful friend. I mean, I don't know about you, but flaky, dishonest, fluctuating, these are, these are hard char- characteristics to hold on to. 
And when I think about Jesus, there is nothing more faithful than his commitment to you and I. There is nothing wavering, unsure, untrusting, unloving about him. He is committed. The definition of faithful in context of relationship is this, true to one's word, promises, vows, steady in allegiance, or affection, loyal, constant, reliable, trusted, or believed, adhering, or true to a fact, a standard, or an original, accurate, and honest. I don't know about you, but I want someone steady, honest, and faithful. In Proverbs 25, 13, it says, like a snow-cooled drink at harvest time, I like a cool drink, is a trustworthy messenger to the one who sends him. He refreshes the spirit of his master. A faithful friend is refreshing. You, and then a faithful friend is, brings clarity and stability. When someone sets their commitment and their faithfulness to you up front, there's stability and there's clarity. I know where I stand with this person. I know I, I have security in that. When Chad and I first started dating, uh, he was really good at setting his intentions, communicating where, where I stood with him, how he felt about me. And before he said, I love you, he said, I liked you. And, well, actually, he said, I laired you because he was going to say, I love you. And then I said, I wasn't ready. And then it, I go, lair you. You know, that's what happened. But before that, he... He professed his feelings to me over a hashtag, and uh, this was before Instagram, so he did hashtag, and it was on my flip phone. He texted it to me, and uh, I was in a previous relationship, and Chad nicknamed this guy Jeepers Creepers, and so he hashtagged, if Jeepers can't keep her, then do worksun.com. This is how Chad communicated his feelings and his intent for me. But what does that do to me? I just get excited and I get secure that this guy is interested in me. So maybe you're here and you have a friendship or you have a relationship or you have a family member. I think that we need to be good at communicating how we feel to pe towards people or how, how our intention is that we want to be faithful and committed and loyal to them. When I think of a loyal, faithful relationship, I think of Jonathan and David. In 1 Samuel 18, it says, after David had finished talking with Saul, Jonathan became one in spirit with David, and he loved him as himself. From that day, Saul kept David with him and did not let him return home to his family. And Jonathan made a covenant with David because he loved him as himself. Jonathan took off the robe he was wearing and gave it to David along with his tunic and even his sword, his bow, and his belt. There was no guessing where his loyalty stood. They were committed to one another. You know, I don't know if you've ever been in a relationship and you've used this expression, I'm just confused, you know, I'm, I, you know, this is our plan for the day. I'm just confused. You know, Chad's like, I, I, you know, I've clearly explained what we're doing and where we're going, why, what, what is confusing about that. But um, 
Some people in relationships that don't have clarification, they bring justification. So they, they start justifying people's poor actions and, you know, maybe they're not feeling good or maybe, you know, maybe he's just having an off day or, you know, he's busy with work, but I'm just confused where he's at, you know, and let me just tell you, if he's good at leaving you, let him leave, okay? You know, just let me just tell you that there's nothing unclear or that needs to be justified about commitment. Commitment is clear. And Jesus's commitment is to us. He is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins, and he's faithful to be committed to our journey. Amen? Amen. Point number three, leave the opinions and lean into the encouragement. In order to have right relationship, we need to exercise encouragement. What's the root word of encouragement? Courage. It takes courage. It takes strong, secure people to give other people compliments and to uplift them. I have a three and a half year old and children can be discerning, but you don't think that they can catch every little thing. Where I was having kind of a rough off day and um, I was getting overwhelmed about a circumstance. I had some tears coming down my face and I saw Maverick notice me from across the room and he says, Mama, he's like, don't be sad, be happy. I was like, oh, this child is just the sweetest thing. And he goes, be happy, Mom, because it's you and me, Maverick and Mommy. You're my best friend. I'm like, this kid is encouraging me. But what does encouragement do? It is satisfaction to our soul. You know, when I think about iron sharpening iron, I think about how those weapons and tools were needed for probably battle seasons. And I don't know about you, but when encouragement comes or when a season that we need to get battle ready, I don't need opinions. I need someone that's sharpening me and getting me strengthened because if they have courage and they're coming from a strong place, then their strength can resonate into my heart and I can become strong. Amen. In Proverbs 16, 24, it says, gracious words are like a honeycomb, sweet to the soul and healing to the bones. Eleven seventeen, it says, your own soul is nourished when you are kind, but you destroy yourself when you are cruel. What does encouragement do? It nourishes and it heals. It nourishes and it heals. And there's a story in the Bible, and maybe you're familiar with when the, the mother of Jesus, Mary, an angel comes to her and tells her that she's going to be pregnant with a baby. But before that, in the beginning of chapter Luke, it talks about a friend of Mary's that would come to her when Mary was pregnant. Well, this friend Elizabeth had been old and waiting to get pregnant for several years. It says that she was old and she was barren. She was desperate to have a baby. Now, maybe you're here and Mother's Day represents a painful holiday for you and you're believing to have a baby. Can I just tell you as a church family, we're going to believe with you. We're going to stand with you. We're going to comfort you when it feels frustrating. But I think about her and I think about how hard that must have been 
to go year after year and season after season where there's no baby. And it says she was old and she was barren. And then Jesus shows up just in the perfect timing and gives her a miracle, a son, John. And she becomes pregnant. Now, I don't know about you if you've ever received a miracle and then someone comes along and receives a bigger and better miracle. I mean, it doesn't get much bigger and better than Jesus, you know. So her girlfriend's pregnant with Jesus now. So maybe you've worked desperately hard to get a promotion and someone just gets a bigger, better promotion right after you. Or, you know, maybe you saved up to buy this perfect dress and someone comes marching in with that dress and she gets all the compliments. Maybe you've been single for a long time and you finally meet the right man of God and you're like, thank you, Jesus. You guys get engaged. You're planning the wedding and then you have your best friend. She marries a guy for six weeks, gets engaged and gets married one month later and steals your colors and your venue and all this stuff. I mean, you think about Elizabeth in that moment and it says in these verses in Luke, it says, at the time Mary got ready and hurried to a town when Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, the baby leaped in her womb and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit in a loud voice. She exclaimed, blessed are you among women and blessed is the child you will bear. She was encouraging, she was celebrating her friend in the midst of her miracle. What does it look like when we're encouraging? Encouragement is attractive. When, Ch when I first met Chad, I like snuck into the back of the service and I listened to him preach. He was wearing a red sweater and his hairline went down to his eyebrows, but he was so good looking. But it wasn't in that moment that I was attracted to him. It was later that day we were out in the community and he was at the Starbucks and the YMCA and that's basically the only two places we went. But he went out and about and he knew everyone's name and he was such an encourager. And encouragement is attractive and that's where... I fell for him is because when someone is encouraging, we're drawn to that. Let's all become right in relationships and encourage others. Amen? How do we encourage? We celebrate others' successes. We let their win become our win. We're life-giving. We exude joy. I don't know about you, but I want to be an encouraging friend. Amen? Amen. Number four, I'm going to invite the worship team to come up. Leave the status and lean into the season. Maybe you're here and you're not satisfied with your status. Maybe you're here and you're frustrated that you're single. Can I tell you that you can be just as effective in your singleness? You can be just as effective in your, in your season. And a lot of times we get really fixed on our status. But yet when we get everything we want and we find ourselves in the season that we've been desperate for, we still grumble. I've been there. But if we lose the status of what our relationship is, maybe the status is lonely or maybe the status is uh, I deal with not being a good spouse or... Um, I feel like I've failed. You've put a status on yourself that allows you to be blinded by the beautiful season that you're in. And it delays our effectiveness of what we can do in the seasons that he's actually bringing us through. Because seasons, what? They come and they go. They come and they go. 
So maybe it's a beautiful season of harvest, or maybe it's a rainy season, or a droughtful season, or a season that feels frustrating. Can we embrace seasons? I love this psalm so much. When I was in seventh grade, I had a pastor read this psalms over my life. And at the time, I thought of it and I translated it as to be prosperous and to, to succeed in business. But in Psalms 1-3, it says that person is like a tree planted by streams of water, by water that's refreshing and nourishing, which yields its fruit in what? In season. And whose leaf do not wither, whatever they do prospers. That word prosper isn't a, a status change or it's not a list of acclimates. I feel like that word prosper is talking about the fulfillment of the heart, a satisfied season. And in order to do that, we have to lean in to becoming right. A planted person prospers. A planted person in relationship is fulfilling. I'm going to have you stand to your feet as we... The last one. Leave the temporary love and lean into his eternal love. John 4, verses 13 through 14 says, Everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks of the water that I give, the one that I have for you, Indeed, the water I give them will become in them a spring of water welling up to eternal life. How many of us have chose temporary, monetary things that fulfill us? Achievements, money, jobs, relationships, exercise, addictions, on and on and on. Whatever these things are, will always leave you thirsty again because he's the one that completes us. And regardless of your status, regardless of where you're at in the area of relationship, can we lean into his love? Because to be in right relationship requires us to have a right understanding of his great love for us. Amen? Amen. Are you grateful to be in relationship? In closing, in 2 Corinthians 13, it says this, and I just think this is a charge for our church as we are committed and intentional about becoming right, not being right, and to live committed in the area of relationships. It says, and that's about it, friends. Be cheerful. Keep things in good repair. Keep your spirits up. Think in harmony. Be agreeable. Do all that. And the God of love and peace will be with you for sure. Greet one another with a holy embrace. All the brothers and sisters here say, hello. I love that so much. I really do believe that in the areas where we're broken, that he can restore and give us a whole heart to be able to forgive to be able to celebrate and encourage others, to be able to love others because he's loved us, and to be able to embrace every season despite what it looks like. Amen.